Who knows what Jay-Z, J.K. Rowling, Bill Gates and Oprah Winfrey all have in common? Okay, I will tell you then. They have all overcome failure in one shape or form to go on to gain success in their respective careers. Welcome to My Perfect Failure. Join us as we delve into the world of our perfect failures. We will interview, explore, and discuss how our perfect failures can lead us to success. Join us and tune in. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to My Perfect Failure, the podcast where we look to tap into the world of failure, uh, what it is, why it happens, and uh, how we move beyond failure. So um, thank you very much for tuning in. So today, I've got the uh, wonderful honour of uh, interviewing uh, Hope Pullman. So welcome, Hope. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you, Paul? I'm very good because it's a weekend and I'm talking about something that I've got a, uh, a great deal of interest and passion for. So uh, thanks for uh, being uh, available to uh, speak to me today. So Hope, just sort of um, looking into all the wonderful things you do, I'm sort of thinking that you could maybe help me out with a time management course because I can see that you're a mother, you're a wife, you're a lecturer, you're a blogger, you're a writer, you're a humorist. So that's a that's a, a whole bunch of stuff that you're able to uh to sort of that you that you actually do. Yes. And I managed to fit in, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram too. <laughs> this is kind of new for me, the sort of podcasting. <laughs> so it's it's kind of inspirational that actually I can do this and I can potentially uh do more so that's a, a wonderful array of uh, things that you managed to do so i guess we we can get right into it really so the podcast really is about um my perfect failure understanding what failure is and seeing if we can sort of find tips and uh tricks to um aid listeners that are that, are, that will be tuning into this so Going through how I sort of discovered you, which was via Psychology Today, you did a a wonderful article on um, surviving spectacular uh, failure. And it it led me to a wonderful blog that you do. I'm not sure if all the listeners are going to be familiar with this, which is called Unmapped Country. I'd be really interested sort of to get sort of an idea, you know, what that is and sort of how it came about. It came about because I... uh moved from New York City with my family um, to upstate New York, which was the complete wilderness as far, far as I was concerned. And my my city friend said, well, uh, you should write a blog because we don't know anything about suburban life as if it was something very exotic. So um, I I started to write a little bit of a blog about what was going on. But um, eventually... My move precipitated a huge crisis, uh, in, internal crisis, where I felt very much like a failure, that I had maybe drifted along in life. I'd had the idea that eventually, someday, I was going to accomplish certain goals, um, but that was somewhere off in the future. And suddenly, here I was with children and a husband and a mortgage and a cars and in a place that I hadn't really wanted to go. And I suddenly realized these, this is all the result of all the choices I made or maybe didn't make. And that I had this long-term view that I was going to do these things, but when was that going to happen? Here is someday, someday has arrived. And what do I have to show for it? So I shifted my blog. I started to research, um, success 
because failure seemed like a bad place to be. <laughs> mm. And so I was searching for a title for the blog and um, I was searching for a new way to look at success. And so Unmapped Country was sort of an ironic title because at first it meant, and I really went through a whole process to name the blog, but you know, to, to reflect that I'm in new territory, a new phase of life, but also uh, looking at failure and success in a new way. The subtitle of the blog is The Flip Side of Failure, meaning what is the other side of failure? We, we don't have to be either or. It's not either success or failure. There's a gradient between the places, and I wanted to explore that and also be doing that in a humorous way. That's flip, like flippant and humorous. Obviously, I've read uh, some of the blogs that you've done on uh, Unmapped Failure, which, and I love, so it's the humor element I love because it, we were sort of talking sort of before, and I think that it's, um, failure shouldn't be doom and gloom. You know, it right. should be about, you know, opportunity, a bit of perspective, and about, um, you know, taking the positive out of situations. And I think that your writing certainly, um, encourages that but it does it in a sort of not a doom and gloom way in a sort of a humorous way which which i think for people is important because i think it makes it uh attainable i don't know whether that was something that was a thought process for you to actually navigate down that road or whether it's oh, just yes. it's yes. just part of you well my goal is to be i have by my desk i have my little what i want to be when i write is relatable funny and hopefully wise. So I want people to be able to relate. And when, when I, the more I write about something ridiculous and very personal to me, the more general it seems to appeal to people. And that is a truth that I've come across in art and writing. You know, when you become very particular, you're, you're afraid you're not going to appeal to everybody, but really by becoming very particular, you allow people to really relate and, and then it is a universal, they, they can take something universal from it. That is my goal. And as I've, I've done so much reading um, about success and goal setting and so forth, and I've written a book that I'm, I'm in the process of pitching to agents right now, I've learned that failure is really, it's not the opposite of success. It is a component of success. It is there all the time. I mean, you know, the simple analogy is in athletics. I read a book about um, about success in athletics, and the, per, the author made the analogy, you know, point, made the point that if you look at an ice skater learning her next move, I mean, her practice is most of the time falling on her butt. She's trying something. She's failing over and over and over and over and over mm -hmm. again until she learns the next thing. And then she needs to start learning the next bit. She can she can do three rotations. Now she needs to learn how to do four. So she begins the process again. There are psychologists who study this and people who have this ability to understand that, that failure is really, uh, I mean, you just are going to fail when you're trying to reach difficult goals. Those people tend to have a more sense of success and to sustain success longer they have a growth mindset. Yeah, that's interesting because um, I like the analogy of sort of an, a, an ice skater. I was talking to somebody else on a previous uh, episode, and we and she gave the analogy of a, a child. When we're when we're children, if we're lucky, we all get um, bought a um, a bicycle by our, our parents, and at some point, you know, they take off the stabilizers, and it's away you go. And we have to try and 
learn to sort of cycle without stabilizers. And um, invariably, what will happen, unless you're uh, incredibly talented, you we we will, you know, it, w- it won't be a sort of, we will fall off, we will fall over, potentially repeatedly. But the difference is, at that point, because we're so determined to be able to cycle our bicycles, that we get up and we go along and we go along until actually we all become very proficient and we sort of have years of of riding our bicycles. But at some way along the way, Fife gets in the way and that sort of ability to bounce back from falling off a situation sort of um, disappears and it can it can sort of stop us in our tracks, I guess. Yes. I don't know if you um, are familiar. There's a sl- sort of a little bit of a movement now um, for people to post their failure resumes. Have you heard about this? I haven't, no. There was an article. I, I could look for it, but um, you could Google it. But there there are some people who are promoting this because there is this, you know, sense that we polish ourselves and we present our successes to the world. And then, you know, the people that are coming up behind us, they are looking and they only see our achievements and they don't see all the things that we did not uh, manage to accomplish along the way. So these are academics, a lot of them. They they publish um, their along with what they've done, you know, professors at Princeton University or whatever, they publish also the fellowships they didn't get, the positions they didn't yeah. get the places they didn't get tenure, just to put it all in context, that um, life is a series of trying of different things and some work out and some don't, but the process is really what's important yeah. to keep you moving forward. That's really interesting. So I mentioned at the top of, of this interview, uh, Surviving Spectacular Failure, which for anybody that hasn't uh, come across the article, you can find it in Psychology Today. If you if you uh, Google with um, and you put Hope's name in, one of the I guess that sort of I guess the undercurrent of that was uh, Jason Everman, who potentially could have been the guitarist for Nirvana. I think it was guitarist Nirvana and uh, Sound uh, Garden. And I loved your sort of spin on how um, he navigated those difficulties. Well, I let you ex- maybe I let you explain that actually. I think you did a wonderful job of reviewing his situation. So this is before Nirvana and Soundgarden got big. So he was a guitarist and um, kind of, for whatever reason, things didn't work out, ended up getting fired at both situations. And then um, he went away and became a a member of the Special Forces. I I love the fact that you sort of went into detail about, or or you you brought to light that actually he didn't let those situations affect him. He went, he, you know, he didn't, um, things didn't work out with him for Nirvana and Soundgarden. Um, but he managed to realize what was, what his perfect failure was. Maybe that was his perfect failure. And he went on to work, um, in the special forces and have a wonderful career. And he also went to Columbia and got a degree in, um, philosophy at age 45. Wow. He he hadn't gotten his undergraduate degree. So I didn't know that. So he ended up going to uh, university and getting this degree. At age 45. I mean, really, the, I, I think that um, what looked like failure to other people was really him not finding the thing that was, was important to him. And when he did find what really mattered to him, then he went for it. I mean, he knew that being in a rock band was not really for him, despite the fact that he could have a lot of fame, glory, money, and all that stuff. And I guess deep inside, it has to be about what's right for us, because... <laughs> Being, being in a rock band, I guess, for um, 
people outside who are not in that industry. It sounds like the best thing ever. You get to tour, you you know, you get on TV, social media, everybody adores you. Um, but we're not looking about sort of the content that goes into that, that you've got to, you've got to rehearse, you've got to uh, be interviewed, you've got to be around people all the time. So we're not looking about, and he probably, you know, potentially that was, you know what, this isn't for me, but it, right. but he found something that are he that interested him more. He went in certain directions. He was in Nirvana and Soundgarden. He did the rock thing. And then he went off and he joined the special forces. So, but there was an element, you know, there was an, he had to find, locate the thing that was important to him within what he was doing. And he followed an instinct. So, you know, maybe the same, maybe there was some sort of thing about him being, um, you know, in front of people in a kind of a high stress, very intense environment, being in a rock band. He, he, he liked that and the traveling around with people. And he went off into the military, which is also very high speed and intense and so forth. So he, he was moving in, even though he, he had some failures along the way, but he was learning what um, was important to him and, and following it. And so once you, um, if you are following what you value, then you're going to be able to sustain yourself to achieve success. And he certainly had to do a lot to become a member of special forces and then to go off and start uh, college at age 45 well, <laughs> at well, Columbia University. Which is immense. Which is immense. The thing that I, you know, what I think is, is wonderful about that, and I think it's something that people that are listening can potentially um, take heart from, is the fact that you, you mentioned about following his instinct. So he was doing one situation, which for whatever reason, wasn't, wasn't feeling it for whatever reason. He, he went on a different path out of what most people would think is an amazing situation to, 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 to go into special forces and potentially instinct was there. So I guess that should give people that are in situations at the moment that maybe not quite feeling it. And maybe their instinct has taken them somewhere else or to give them the confidence to maybe just, you know, try. You never know. Well, right. To ask, what is it that got me into this position in the first place? What was appealing? And, you know, we it's a, it takes a while to figure out what's um, what's a some people call them a deep value or a real value or a guiding principle. Um, it takes us a while to sort those things out from the values that our culture gives to us yeah. where we seek attention, fame, money, mm. um, prestige, power, money. Those are the, the big ones. Um, but those are prestige, power, and money are really not sustaining motivators. Those are things that, um, that I think that people that really have those and are succeeding, they, they have them as byproducts of what, of, um, doing something that's based on some, um, a, a stronger principle. Um, and this has come, this information is you know, something I've gleaned from reading so many books and they, they talk about, uh, all these books talk about how you really need to be working, um, on something that is intrinsically motivating to you in order to succeed. And when you're doing that, as when you are a kid learning how to ride a bicycle, you're totally motivated to learn how to ride that bike. So you are not even going to notice that all the times you fall off because you are so focused on that motivating passion of learning how to ride this machine that you're just going to get there because 
because you have the strong desire and the, the falls and the scrapes are not going to really bother you for long. I guess it's interesting to know how people can get to that point where they can sort of find that passion and not be concerned about setbacks and not let the setbacks override the um the positives that are there the setbacks become more more sort of significant than any positives there and it's it, and I, i'm i'm hoping that that this podcast ultimately can sort of give people the courage to to sort of balance out sort of setbacks and positives that positives which are there can uh, outweigh the negatives which we tend to latch onto. There's um a question I wanted to ask you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's if you have a theory on how, on how on how people draw a distinction between success and failure. Have you found any sort of interesting sort of research on that? The research that I've read on what's called mindset, the growth mindset, and the fixed mindset um, is uh, illuminating on that subject. There's a psychiatrist. A psychologist at Stanford University, Carol Dweck, and she um, has developed this theory that uh, people have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset, and um, or you can have a mix. Most people have a mix, but um, people who feel that you know there's a big distinction between success and failure are going to be generally people that have a fixed mindset. So, what's a fixed mindset? <clears throat> a fixed mindset is a mindset that believes that we are born with a certain amount of intelligence and that's who we are. Um, you know, you, you have an IQ and that defines you. So maybe you're just not that smart because you don't have the highest IQ. And therefore, if you try for something and you fail at it, you do not have the grit to keep going. Um, and try again because you feel like, oh, well, that's just because I'm not that great. And it reaffirms a sense that you're not that great. And um, on the other hand, you are also like trying really hard to succeed at things because that aff- affirms your sense that your ability is is there. And you, you're constantly needing to feed that sense that you have um, you have innate ability and that you should be able to achieve things without a lot of effort. And so that's the fixed mindset. It's very much supported by our educational system, you know, which is really geared towards, mm. you know, taking tests and getting grades. It reaffirms, you know, you did well, you're smart. You didn't do well, you're dumb. Um, but the growth mindset is different. The growth mindset is a mindset that believes that um, you have the capacity to learn. And therefore, if you work a little harder, you can do a little bit better. And that intelligence is actually kind of malleable. And so, um, you know, she studied with young children to show her the example. But, you know, kids that had a growth mindset were willing to try harder and harder puzzles, um, even if they didn't get them right away. Whereas kids with a fixed mindset would only want to do the same puzzle over and over again Mm -hmm. because it made them feel good to be able to do it over and over again. Uh, Does that make sense to you? Totally. Totally makes sense. So I guess what I'm gleaning for that, we want... Ideally, most people to have, not most people, everybody to have uh, a growth mindset, which means that we don't box ourselves into situations where if something doesn't work out, we kind of, that's it. You know, it's, it's almost if something 
doesn't work out at work or you're asked to do something and you know it doesn't go according to plan you, you just want to leave that so growth mindset i guess would be the um the way to go right growth mindset is the way to go and and interestingly she points out in the beginning of the book that the the man who's attributed um, with developing the IQ test, the Stanford Binet, so Alfred Binet, the first IQ test that was made in something like 1905 or something. The reason he made that test was because he wanted to uh, help educators tailor their educational programs to people who had different learning needs or different abilities. So he always felt that intelligence was a malleable, flexible thing, and that people mm-hmm. could, if they were reached in a certain way, they could, you know, like whatever their mode of learning was, that they could, you know, succeed more academically or whatever it was. But ironically, the IQ test has come to be used as this total label yeah. for us. In the U.S., we have these SATs that the kids all take, and I guarantee you everybody knows what their SAT scores were. I I remember mine because Mm -hmm. it's very hard to get away from the idea that your SAT score defines your whole life. There is this thing where um, we do let sort of, you know, um, IQ scores and stuff like that, we do use, (laughs) we use them as kind of like, you know, either you, if you don't get a certain, attain a certain level, then you know, I'm not sure, you know, you should be going for this job or you should look at this career. And it at that point, you're sort of putting limitations on what you can do in life. And um, I like the idea of the growth mindset because it actually says, okay, if you didn't, I don't know, do as well as you would have liked on the IQ test, then do it again. Or you know, or if there's a presentation you did at work, you know, didn't go quite as well as it might have done. Okay, you know, you can pick the bones out of it. And the next time you deliver a presentation, there will be things that that instantly you think, actually, that's what I um, need to improve on next time and it will be better. That's exactly it. So in that in those situations, failure is partner of success. Yeah. You know, you learn from your failures. You, you say, okay, I am going to pick this apart. I'm going to see what I did wrong and I'm going to learn from it. And I guess the key is getting people to now, I don't know, you know, not a sort of, I've got no expertise in this field, but it's understanding how or what needs to be done to navigate people from a, a, a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. It's actually getting people to unravel what's keeping that, what's keeping them here that can move them to over here which is obviously it's the growth mindset, but it's understanding what tools need to be put in place to help people achieve what they want to achieve, which will be done by the growth mindset. I don't know. Um, I, I probably need to do a bit more reading on this. Not probably, definitely. Well, yes, and it's very useful. I mean, you, you know, it's a, it can be a way of um, self-talk. You, you speak to yourself in a different way. So mm. you got an F on a test. You don't say, ugh. I am the worst student. You say, okay, what did I get wrong? How can I figure that out? How can I do better next time? You, it's incremental. Yeah. It's, it's, but it's taking a little bit of pressure off yourself. It's not a referendum on you. It's mm. just what you did yeah. looking at, at that moment. Totally. So it's, it's kind of making sure that as people, we don't think everything is black and white we're good or we're bad we're good or we're bad this we didn't do well here but next time we can do better just just one point i wanted to mention 
obviously your lecturer. So is that something that you're aware of when you teach um, in terms yeah. of making sure that kids have this great, which I think is an amazing thing to have as children because children can be quite, um, you know, they say what they want. Adults, we tend to sort of think, well, that's not going to, that's not going to, um, that's going to be like a little bit mean or whatnot. So I guess you having all this knowledge, is it something that you employ? Absolutely. And um, I work with college first year students, you know, like university students, 18 year olds. So I always tell them, you can do better, you can improve writing, I'm teaching them how to write and to think critically. And so the emphasis is really on trying to learn how to revise and that it's always a process. Mm -hmm. And that you need to be able to explain what you think, but also in order to know what you think, you probably need to be able to write about it. So um, you can't be too hung up on whether you write it really well the first time. Um, you have to start with a, a draft and revise and edit yeah. and repeat. And as a parent with small children, I always try to praise effort as opposed to result or um, other parent parenting books also have recommended this, but that you never um, criticize a child for bad behavior by saying you're mean or that was you're stupid. You say that was a bad choice or your behavior was not good. But it's something it separates the, the behavior from the character. Yeah, because that's um, something that something that sprung to mind and like this, you know, really useful stuff there. There's a lot that I want to cover. There's a bit more that I want to cover before I let you go. So do, do you think with regards to society today that we we place more, people place more sort of influence on what others think of for success and failure in relation to what we do and how, the outcome, if that makes sense? I think that, um, you know, popular culture presents this whole image of success that's really uh, about power, money, and prestige. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, people that don't naturally gravitate towards that feel like there's something wrong with them. But I also know a lot of very uh, successful people who have started companies and so forth, and they don't think that way. That's not what's motivating yeah. them. Um, they are motivated by, uh, well, I mean, one of my oldest friends who started one of the first um, uh, web search engines back in the 1989 or something. I mean, he was motivated to bring, uh, make knowledge accessible to people. That literally is his motivation. Mm -hmm. And he has done many things in his life uh, with the, that goal in mind, creating a search engine, which he did in collaboration with Steve Jobs, uh, creating um, the Internet Archive, which is an online library so that um, people can freely access all information, you know, so that you have a guiding principle and you then go off and do these other things. And along the way, it has certainly given him great wealth, but that has not been his goal. That was kind of like a byproduct of what, right. what his passion was. And, and as you described that, it, it kind of like goes back to what you said earlier about sort of instinct about you know if you have a passion instinct then pursue it you have absolutely nothing to lose i actually have a, another a book uh, my sister is a psychoanalyst so when i was talking to her about success she said well um 
you're um, not going to feel successful unless, um, you know, you can enter the flow state. So I wanted to talk about that because this relates to motivating you. It, so the flow state is uh, was defined by this famous psychologist who wanted to study people having peak experiences, what made people really happy and really satisfied. And he found that people who were able to be totally immersed in an, in an activity you know, and hopefully we all have had that experience where we were so engaged in doing something mm. that time just passes by and we're just fully engaged in the flow of the moment. And these tasks are usually somewhat challenging and they are our own, they're motivating to us and um, they involve trying to accomplish a goal of some sort to master a, a something. And so in order to be able to have that kind of focus, you need to be working along the lines of something that you really value, something that's really important to you or towards a, a purpose. So that's one of the things to help us figure out what are our deep values? What are the things that we want to pursue? We need to look at those situations where we do lose ourselves. Is it, do we lose ourselves in conversation with people? Do we lose ourselves in writing? Do we lose ourselves in creating art? That, that's a signal to us. So um, that sounds um, a wonderful book, which definitely I'd be more, I'd be interested in reading that. So um, I guess what I'd do for any listeners that are interested in that, we can, um, if you're happy to give us the uh, title and whatnot, I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, sure. I'll do that. And his last name is very hard to pronounce and harder to spell, but Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. <laughs> okay. Okay. I will. I will. <laughs> Give that to you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me to spell and uh, grade me on that. I'll, I'll probably do a woeful job. So, so there's a, a few more things I'd, I'd like to cover before um, you, you go and enjoy the rest of your day. One was um, something that I read from uh, one of your blogs. It was mental contrasting. Yes, mental contrasting. So mental contrasting um, is something, uh, a term coined by a, a German researcher, Gabrielle Oettingen. Um, so I don't know what the German is for it, but that's what it translated into English. And it's a visualization technique for uh, achieving goals. And it's actually particularly good for um, dealing with negativity, which is helpful if you're feeling like a failure. If you're trying to attain a goal that is attainable, but you feel um, that it's really hard or you're not really sure how you would do it. Mental contrasting is a very helpful strategy. Mental contrasting is visualizing yourself accomplishing what it is and how that will feel. What is that like? You have that positive image, but it's also, um, visualizing all the obstacles that you will encounter along the way and how you will handle them. So it's real, realistic. It's not a pie in the sky thing. You do have a goal you want to attain, but you know it's going to be hard. But instead of um, just feeling completely overwhelmed by it, you, you look at the steps along the way that you'll have to take, the smaller goals along the way. And that is what mental contrasting is. So is, is the actual, is, is sort of, I guess if you, for people that want to read mental con contrast, and um, again, we'll put some information on the show notes about this. Um, is it essentially you have at the, at the start that mindset that I'm going to use mental contrasting and then you understand that visualization process and you'll be aware that there are obstacles. And if you 
know what the end goals are, then you you'll you'll navigate those obstacles that are from A, I guess that are in between A to B. Yeah, exactly. I mean, now I learned about this reading a terrific book that I can also give you for the show notes by another uh, professor um, at Stanford who studies goal setting. Mm -hmm. And so mental contrasting is one strategy. Um, And she talks about it, you know, if you tend to be pessimistic versus optimistic, well, optimism is great and helpful, but you can work with your more negative mind states. um, And mental contrasting is one way that does. So the big caveat is that it really has to be a goal you really do believe you can achieve. Yeah. Um, And if you don't, because if you don't, once you start to envision all the obstacles, you'll just sort of end up walking away. But she points out that maybe that's okay because sometimes we need to know when a goal is really not the right goal to pursue. Yeah. And I I guess, I guess ultimately if we're passionate about something, then we're, then then we'll get from A to B. If we're not, then everything comes out in the wash. Right. Okay. All right. So that, that I'm definitely interested to, uh, to read a bit more on that. So definitely we'll put that in the show notes for, um, for our listeners. And, um, another one that I, I, was I, I sort of keenly read that you sort of uh, spoke about was putting uh, putting down the the burden. Well, that um, was the title of a uh, Dharma talk I was listening to. Um, uh, one of my uh, planks in my scaffolding of success is that you need to have some sort of centering activity. Uh, for me, that's meditation. For other people, it's other things. But anyway, I like to listen to Dharma talks. And this was by an instructor. He was talking about um, how sometimes you need to even just put down the burden of trying to search. The spiritual search can be a burden. And that resonated with me because I feel like um, when I have a a goal, I maybe have a lot of voices that are with me saying, oh, you can't do it. Or maybe you want to do something else or whatever, all this stuff. Or, you know, I need to figure out how to visualize this. Or what is the first step I need to take? And it just... Or I'm worrying if I don't, if I do this, am I not doing that? And all the noise that comes along with something mm-hmm. where sometimes you need to just put down the burden and relax and think about the thing that you would like and just experience that moment of thinking about what it is, what is your dream, and um, just have a pure moment of allowing yourself to, to dream at the same time let go of a lot of expectation, just be there in that moment and have that moment. After all, that's where we start from. There's yeah. one moment. I love that because it's, um, cause often when we, there's something that we want to do, we do create anxiety, which ultimately makes it a bit more difficult, a little bit more insurmountable because we think, well, I'm never going to be able to do that because, you know, I've got to start from here. I've got to get, you know, there's so much I've got to do in between. But um, that that just just the actual phrase putting down the burden that make it a burden just make it something that you know just just make it more pleasurable something that are uh, that you, that you know you're going to get great joy from actually doing it the process and actually well I think that, that, yeah and I guess maybe I, the other thing I wanted to say about that was that it's we can do as much as we can towards our goal but we can't control it. For example, if you want to publish a book, mm. you can write the best book you possibly can, yeah. but I cannot make a publisher accept it. So I have to put down that burden. What I have yeah. to do 
is focus on writing the best book I can and enjoying that and doing that and working on that. And then I do what I can to get it published. So you put down those other burdens that are not under your control. Yeah, I think that's great um, advice. Um, on, a, on a previous episode, I spoke to Lindsay Dennis-Cohen, who essentially wrote a book, went for a process, didn't get published. But, you know, and that ultimately became sort of a, a I guess, a burden. But what she, what she now now realises and potentially didn't at the time, what an amazing effort to actually, because how many people actually write books and actually are capable of writing a book and putting everything together? And, you know, that needs to be celebrated, the fact that, you know, you're, you're dedicated enough to have an idea that you're passionate about, um, put it all together, there's type, there's you know, and, and, you know, pictures, whatever it may be. It's a massive accomplishment for any author to put a book together. And um, we've all heard, everybody knows about uh, J.K. Rowling, and I'm sure there's lots of other people, but she's the obvious one that springs to mind. Um, so you can write the book and you go for that process whereby you, you speak to agents and publishers and uh, you, you, clearly rejection is, is, is going to happen. It's a byproduct of the process. But, you know, if you keep on going, then I've got my fingers crossed. Eventually the right agent will come along, the right publisher will come along. And, it, and hopefully it's a fit for the author because the author will potentially want it to be the right fit for them. So everything has to compute. Right, um, exactly. And uh, if it all computes, then, then potentially... Um, you know, we've got we've got a published book on our hands. So yeah. So you know what? I think uh, we've covered. I think we've done a wonderful job. I think we've covered so much. I've got well. I think we've covered more than I anticipated we'd cover in um, sort of uh, forty-ish uh, minutes. So um, I guess the last question I've got for you is: Do you have any? Is there any? Is there, is there any advice you can give for anybody out there that is struggling a little bit and uh, wants to navigate their current situation? Well. I would say what I've learned is for me, success is like light, that it is in the sense that light we talk about is a wave and a particle. So success is particles, meaning moments of achievement, um, goals accomplished. But success is also how we approach our goals and how we approach our life. And that is a process. And if you develop um, a process that is satisfying, then you're going to feel successful. Um, even while you're looking at what are seem to be failures or setbacks, um, you know that it's part of the process and that will keep you going. So for me, the process was, I call it my scaffolding of success. Like a scaffolding is what you use to construct a building or to repair yeah. a building. So there, there are six planks in it. Um, there's granting yourself permission uh, to pursue what you need to pursue, your own definition of success, whatever it is. There is finding out what your values and purpose are, um, also particular to you. You know, that's going to be dealing with whatever societal or fam familiar expectations there are on you. There's uh, setting goals, huge part of it. Um, but I believe. Uh, based on what I've read, that humans need goals. We want to pursue goals. We need challenges. There is realizing that everybody who succeeds, succeeds with help from other people, whether it's standing on the shoulders of others 
or having mentors or having people who believe in you when you might be feeling down yourself. Um, it's totally valid to have that person that you trust reflect to you, back to you, what they believe you are capable of to help you get up. Then there is having some kind of a centering activity so that you can focus down into the moment where you actually need to make a decision uh, and do the next thing that you want to be doing. So that could be, as I said, I like to meditate, exercise, running, whatever, swimming, dancing, prayer, uh, all these kinds of things. Um, if you look at successful people, they, most of them have some kind of a practice like this where they have that time where they just stay focused or relaxed, but they're open. Creativity comes in there. Uh, you can see your next move. It's regenerating. And then the big piece is also, you know, what mental contrasting is. It's one of these strategies for managing your mind because your mind is going to be throwing you all kinds of uh, roadblocks and doubts and so forth. Such amazing advice there, much of which um, I definitely will employ myself. So thank you very much. And um, I um, unmapped um, country, which is an amazing blog. If somebody wants to find a, um, a, uh, a well-written, humorous, current, consistent uh, variety of blogs, then definitely uh, tap into uh, our mapped country. That clearly will be in the show notes. And um, is there anything else that, um, that you know, how can people contact you? If people want to contact you to collaborate or, you know, I know that uh, you've got a book potentially coming out, potentially an agent, yeah. you know, yeah. what's the best yeah. way to get in contact with you? Well, I guess through my email, which okay. you have, you can put yeah. that in the show notes. That's fine. Perfect. I guess I should revive the old website, but I, <laughs> but I haven't. So the website's perfect. All you so all I want is access to your blogs. So if I've access to your blogs, then I'm good. Right. You can you can reach you know, I mean you can reach me by signing up for the blog, but my email you can reach me through my email. Okay. So if anybody wants to collab or's got any ideas or yeah, any of those agents interest- looking for their book, I got my scaffolding of success. I'm trying to talk about it. So. Well, definitely. So any agents out there that are um, are looking for uh, a wonderful book to uh, launch, definitely, definitely get in contact with Hope and you'll be able to find them via her email, which I'll put in the show notes. Or um, if you contact me, I'll certainly put you guys in touch with one another um, because I can't wait for that book to come out. So Hope, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Paul. It's been delightful. This was my first podcast interview, and I'm very um, excited. Well, I'm. Um, it's only my third foray into this, and um, I've, uh, I've I've really uh, enjoyed the process. Not just this sort of forty-ish minutes, but uh, the initial talk that we've had and all that bits and pieces. So, so uh, I'm hoping that um, this isn't our last podcast together. I'm sure there'll be more. Okay, great. So, so uh, thank you very much. And um, just to all the listeners, uh, please look out for uh, the next episode of uh, My Perfect Failure. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to My Perfect Failure podcast. Be sure to visit www.myperfectfailure.com to join the conversation. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Look out for our next episode.